welcome to a serendipitous episode of the Play It As It Lies podcast. I'm Rodem Kaufman, and with me, we are proud to announce our new recipient of a Supermax five-year, $228 million. I know you guys love him, so we're here forever. It's my co-host, Frank Blacko. Five years, $200 million plus, and some would still argue that I'm underpaid, even to this day. But, you know, Rodem, I appreciate that introduction, and I appreciate you. Uh, making the effort to re-sign me to this podcast because, you know, it was up in the air for a while. I, I thought I was going to uh, leave for greener pastures, but there's really no greener pasture than the one we are currently sitting in right now. Well, Frank, home is where the heart is, and I hope your heart has made its home here at the Play It As Lies podcast, a podcast that is coming fresh off in case you missed it. It's Eastern Conference preview. Uh, a lot of big changes due to Giannis's Supermax sign, so make sure to listen to that. Uh, before you move on to this episode. But if you are ready for this episode and a new week of NFL football, Frank, a lot of playoff intricacies going on. A lot of these games are. You ready to break down week 15 of the NFL season? I'm ready. There's no time like the present. And week 15 on December 16th. uh, Let's get it popping. Let's get it popping December 16th, the seventh night of Hanukkah. If you're listening to this on Thursday, happy last night of Hanukkah. Uh, Shout out the Jews. But Frank, as you mentioned, the present is the best place to do something, and the present we've been delivered by Thursday Night Football is a wonderful game of the AFC West as the Chargers come into Las Vegas to play the Raiders. Uh, the 7-6 and six Raiders probably need to win out in order to keep making the playoffs, including a must-win game against playoff hopefuls Miami. In order to make the playoffs, they will still hope that Baltimore loses at least one game to tie up their series. They'll be going against the four and nine Chargers who have been eliminated from the playoffs, and as it stands, will pick fourth in the draft. Vegas spread is currently sitting at minus three, while the Chargers' money line is at plus 165. Frank, it's a primetime game with John Gruden. Does Chucky pick up another one in Vegas? Well, they certainly need to, uh, like you laid it out. This is pretty much a must-win game for the Raiders, which is not necessarily something we thought we'd be saying uh, four to four or five-some-odd weeks ago. But I talked about it last week, how this Raiders team was heading in the wrong direction, really, and that did not change after week 14, uh, losing by 17 points to the Colts at home. Uh, That was a bad loss. Um, On the flip side, this Chargers team actually won, something that doesn't happen very often, and it did so, courtesy of a game-winning field goal. Um, But of note is that the Chargers have not won consecutive games at all this season. They're not a team that you can really trust to put two impressive performances together in back-to-back weeks. And for that reason, although the Raiders are heading in the wrong direction, this feels like a spot where they have to win. Uh, They need to win. It's Thursday night. Anything can happen, so I'm not ruling out uh, Chargers upset, per se. But I'm going to take the Raiders to win this game. I would say by a field goal, so I want to say it's a push. But I'm going to say I'm going to go ahead and take the minus three on the strength of their coaching advantage, uh, that being John Gruden versus Anthony Lynn. Right, this might come to a shock to you, so get ready. I uh, am not taking the Raiders in this one. Uh, Surprisingly, you are. Um, the Raiders, uh, who similar to last season started off hot and are finishing off very poorly last year, they went six and five to start the season and finished off a miserable one and five to end the season, have had a pretty similar start, you know, starting off seven and four. And so far, they've gone 0 and two to get the back off of the season. And I think it's going to drop to 0 and three here. 
versus the Chargers. And I think one of the biggest reasons I would have taken the Raiders, and I think it might be a reason a lot of people take the Raiders, is that whole new coach mentality that definitely gives them an up against other teams. But Paul Gunther, uh, their now former defensive coordinator, is getting replaced by Rod Marinelli. I don't really know who's about he's, who he's about to inspire because their injury update, littered with concussions for some reason, is a majority of their starting lineup with safeties Jeff Heath and Jonathan Abram out for a concussion, number one cornerback Damon Arnett out for a concussion, defensive end Cleanan Farrell not out for a concussion, linebacker Nicholas Morrow also out for a concussion, will be out. And so I'm kind of wondering who is this inspiration supposed to come from because it's not some of their best players in the defensive side of the ball, a side that they weren't really that good at either way. On top of all that, on the offensive side of the ball, Henry Ruggs, their biggest big play ga- player who won them get the game against the Jets, uh, despite the Jets actually losing that game to themselves, uh, is on the COVID-19 list and will not be able to play on Thursday. And on top of all that, the Chargers managed to get turnovers by the dozen for the last four games, getting three in the last two games and two in the last three weeks ago, whereas the Raiders, over their past four games, have managed to turn turn over the ball at least once and have 11 giveaways in that span. For the first nine games of the season, they only had nine. The Raiders are playing like a incredibly different team than the one we saw at the beginning of the season. I don't think they're going to be able to keep up with the fact that their defense is, is going to get out outwitted by Justin Herbert consistently. Uh, the only bet I think I'd be willing to take aside from the from the Chargers themselves, the over 52.5. Both fire uh, fired up offenses, and even now it rugs, they're going to have to compete. The Raiders are still going to be able to compete with at least 26 points of the board to hit that over. Uh, but yeah, my first time off this Raiders bus, and I think uh, this might be your last time on it. Well, you might be right. Um, but I do agree with you that the over in this game is a strong bet. You mentioned how the Raiders are said to be missing several key defensive pieces. And of course, they did just fire their defensive coordinator. But my prediction uh, for them winning this game was not going to be based on the fact that I thought their defense was going to play well at all. I mean, I was expecting, I'd be expecting the Chargers to score close to or more than 30 points in this game anyways. Uh, I just think the Raiders offense is going to prove up to the challenge of matching that and uh, ultimately pulling out a closed game. And, you know, this could be a sneakily entertaining Thursday night game. It could be. Uh, never disappointed on Thursday night, but Frank, you know what's better than Thursday night football? It's a day of the week where we usually don't get football, at least professional-wise. Uh, and it's Saturday night football for the first Whoa. time in a while, and it will be for the next few weeks leading up to Wild Card Weekend, which will be, of course, on Saturday. Uh, so a great treat to start us on two not great, but all right games. Uh, first of which comes the Bills at the Broncos with the Bills favored by minus six and a half coming off their 11 point victory versus the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, Denver is coming off a surprise victory against Carolina by five points with their money line set at plus 255. The five and eight Broncos are technically still in the playoff race, but a loss here mathematically disqualifies them and would put them at 13th on the draft board. Uh, This would continue the streak of five seasons, not making the playoffs. Frank, the last time they made the playoffs, they won it all Super Bowl 50. Uh, meanwhile, they'll be playing the 10-3 and three Bills, who will clinch, who have clinched the AFC East with a win here for the first time in franchise since 1995. Four other teams have done that, which is incredible in a division of four, as the Colts have won the division more recently than the Bills have. Uh, pretty incredible, Frank. Uh, exciting times for the Bills to win this division. Uh, do you see it coming this week? I do see it coming this week, um, but there's something about this game that's leading me to think 
uh, it might be a bit more close and competitive than many people are expecting. Um, I said last week before they played the Steelers, I thought this Bills team was probably the second best team in the AFC. And I think we kind of saw that play out and ring, ring true with their victory over Pittsburgh. Now on a short week playing in Saturday, it's kind of a weird spot to be traveling to Mile High Stadium, uh, playing a Broncos team that, while they're decisively better than, there's no disputing that, uh, this Broncos team has been kind of frisky of late. Uh, they, they covered the spread against the Chiefs uh, just two weeks ago, only losing by six points. And then last week, they dropped 32 on the Panthers. And every year around this time, uh, it seems like there's a bad team that begins to play better than most people expect. And they play kind of scrappy, specifically on the defensive side of the ball, and they give some teams some issues. And it looks like the Broncos might be that team this year. Um, I can see the Bills winning uh, by double digits, just simply because they are the better team on both sides of the ball. But I'm going to take Denver plus 6.5 and say that uh, this is actually a four or five point game that the Bills kind of sleepwalk their way through for a while before turning it on late in the fourth quarter and doing what they need to do to win the game and win the division. Yeah, uh, they're going to get things done, but I, I'm kind of surprised that you're saying that the Broncos, you know, the Broncos are still not a good team. I mean, Drew Locke may have had a great game, but I mean, is really a quarterback you're saying is going to beat quality teams like this? I mean, the Bills are a significantly better team and their defense looked a lot better last week. Uh, and especially against Pittsburgh, they stymied some of the best receivers in the NFL right now. And I think they'll continue to be doing the same against a much less talented Broncos team. Uh, and I think the thing to point to from your argument, of course, is Locke, who went 21 for 27 for 280 yards, four touchdowns and zero interceptions in that 32 to 27 win over the Panthers. Um, but when's the last time Drew Locke has played back to back quality games? The only other time Locke has had over 100 quarterback rating uh, last year, he followed it up the next week with a stinker going 18 for 40 for 208 yards, zero touchdowns and an interception. Uh, I think this is going to be an incredibly emotional game for the Bills. Uh, they're going to be so excited to win the division again for the first time in almost 25 years. Uh, I think it's going to be a pretty convincing win on the Bills' side uh, as they keep reminding people exactly what you said. They're the second best team in the AFC and beating up on the lowly Broncos is going to be a big step in sure reminding people that. It certainly would be. Uh, but at the same time, you know, if you look at their schedule, they do play at New England next week. and That game is on Monday Night Football. So my thinking is maybe they maybe they kind of play a little bit lackadaisical in this game and, and don't necessarily have the same energy that they had after an emotional high-stakes win on Sunday night. Uh, I still think they come out with a victory on this game, but uh, I think they'll be more excited to be playing New England in a spot that they usually never play the Patriots in Week 16 of a season, that being uh, they're on the top of the division and the Patriots are all but out of the playoff race. And I think that's something they're going to be looking forward to as well. They are definitely going to keep that game in mind. Uh, they probably won't be looking over it. It'll be interesting to see how that game goes. There, we are, we are also treated to another Saturday game, uh, kind of reminiscent of this Broncos-Bills game, of a team, the Panthers, come to Green Bay to play the Packers. Uh, Carolina is coming off a 27-32 loss to Denver, of course, whereas Green Bay is coming off a 28-21 win over Detroit. Green Bay favored by minus 8.5. The Panthers, money line, plus 330. Like the team they played in Super Bowl 50, the 4-9 Panthers are technically still in the playoff hunt, but a loss here mathematically disqualifies them and would put them at 6th 
on the clock. Since that fateful Super Bowl loss, they have only made the playoffs once. Uh, so they are one in four on those five seasons combined. The Broncos and Panthers have only made the playoffs once since that Super Bowl. Kind of crazy. The 10 and three Packers have already locked up the NFC North for the seventh time with Aaron Rodgers at quarterback. Uh, their search for a bye week will continue, though, require them keeping pace with the Saints. Uh, but the Cheeseheads do have the easier of the two schedules. Frank, the Packers do need to keep winning here. Are they going to pick one up and keep in line with the Saints and maybe still eke out that bye? I think they do. And what bodes well for them is in their past 12 games at home, uh, they're 11 and 1. And we know how good Aaron Rodgers historically plays in the month of December. And the Packers are averaging 34 points per game in their last three weeks. And Rodgers, who we've been talking about a lot recently, during this three-game stretch, he is completing 75% of his passes with 10 touchdowns, no interceptions, and 265 passing yards per game. I said it last week. One of the best player props you can take in all of the NFL is Aaron Rodgers over two and a half touchdowns uh, week in, week out. That's happened in all but two games this year. I think the Packers score 30 plus points again in this game and win. Although I don't want to sound like a broken record here, but I've talked about it before how this Panthers team as an underdog more often than not this season has found a way to cover the spread. And at eight and a half points here, I think they'll score enough points to make this somewhat of an interesting game. I don't know if it's going to be a backdoor cover. The Panthers plus eight and a half. And you know, Rodham, last time these two teams met in Lambeau Field, uh, it was snowing and, and it came down to the wire with a controversial finish. Christian McCaffrey at the goal line. Uh, McCaffrey obviously won't be playing in this game again. But uh, I see Packers winning, Panthers covering eight and a half. Do you see the same? I also see the same, and I think the big door that's going to be left open for Teddy Two Clubs uh, to cover up. Packers defense has looked incredibly weak while it's been blitzing. And while you'd imagine with a talented list of players that we've weirdly connected to between Darnell Savage, Zadarius Smith, Rashawn Gary, Preston Williams, there's just so much talent on uh, rushing the quarterback. You'd imagine they'd be better, but on 23 blitzes against the Lions, Matt Stafford went 11 for 14 at passing for 100 yards, a touchdown, and zero interceptions, resulting in just one QB hit for Mike Pettin's defense. I think that one of the bad things there is that they continue to blitz, and against a player like Teddy Bridgewater, who is historically great when blitzed, uh, and not only that, historically great when covering the spread, I think it's going to combine pretty well as Teddy, probably at the end of the game, when Pettin might get a little bit lazy and just kind of blitz the house a few too many times. We might see a few great Teddy runs or Teddy passes to save the day and geek out a backdoor cover. Well, when you're betting on petting, uh, you better be setting yourself up to get backdoor covered. So I kind of see, I kind of think that could happen as well. What a rhyme you set down there. And as we move on from Teddy to gloves, we move on and out of Green Bay to Tampa Bay. Uh, where the Tampa Bay Buccaneers will be going to Atlanta to face the Falcons. And while we're already talking about teams who haven't made the playoffs since their Super Bowl, the 4-9 Falcons fit right in, or I guess out, having not played a game when it matters since their collapse in Super Bowl 51. They will miss out again with a loss at any point in the season, putting them in line to pick 7th in Cleveland. Uh, they play host to the 8-5 and five Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who do a miracle to steal the NFC South from the Saints since they are already two games behind and would lose the tiebreaker. But the playoffs are still in play, needing just two wins out of their last three or a tie this week from the Bears and Vikings to take Tom into January. For this game, Atlanta's money line is at plus 220, and the Tampa Bay spread is at minus 5.5. 
Frank, how do you feel about Bruce Arians' chances to go with dances? Well, I think Bruce Arians will be dancing um, for sure. But you got I got to say, this Buccaneers team right now, they're kind of in a weird spot. A weird spot. If you look at all the teams projected to make the playoffs, uh, on paper, the Buccaneers are one of the most talented teams in the league. But you kind of struggle to figure out what their identity is on offense or defense. Uh, they really, right now, kind of seem like just a collection of talented players, but they still really haven't been clicking and they haven't gelled together. Um, and at this point in the season, that's a little bit concerning for their prospects in January and, and further on. Uh, but in this game specifically against this Falcons team, uh, I don't have any doubt that they're going to win this game. Uh, these NFC South games can be weird sometimes. We know the Falcons have a tendency to pull to pull upset performances out of their behind, uh, but I don't think this is going to be one of those moments. I mean, you look at last week's game, they should have won that game against the Chargers, and Matt Ryan threw three interceptions, and they gave it away, and that's what this Falcons team does. They just give games away. Uh, I like the Buccaneers here, minus five and a half, to win this game by a touchdown or more. Uh, 100% agree with you here. A lot of agreement. Uh, and it's mostly because I'm so sick and tired of talking about the Falcons. Let's let's just stop doing it. Because there's no way to lock down how they look. And I think they're just an any given Sunday kind of team. And if this is just the week they decide to be on, then hell, they could totally steal this game. And uh, I think it's entirely possible. So maybe the value there at plus 220 would get people to take on it. But as it stands right now, yeah, the Buccaneers are a more talented team, and it would take a Herculean effort from their defense in a playoff-determining game to win this one. And honestly, I would rather fight a Hydra than Tom Brady and the nine Pro Bowl weapons he has in Tampa. So I, I think it's one that I'm easily going to slot away for the Buccaneers. But I say easily hesitantly because I think they could lose, they could win this game by 20, or they could lose it by 15. I have no idea with this Falcons team, and I'm so excited that we're going to stop talking about them in two weeks. I couldn't agree more. And uh, we've said it before that there's a handful of teams in the NFL that we should relocate to a new league, maybe the XFL, maybe the CFL. And I think the Falcons have to be on that list. Uh, I think uh, the Falcons should be the prime example of an expansion league team. Well, let's just get rid of them. Let's bury them forever. Absolutely. Good riddance. Them and all of the teams in the NFC East. The one of those teams that we would have to keep out of that hole, at least just for now, is the next game in our one o'clock slate, which is the Cowboys playing host, the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, we're going from Green Bay to Tampa Bay to San Francisco Bay. So we have the five and eight San Francisco 49ers. The Niners would need a win out in order to salvage their Indley Ridge season, go 500. But even that likely won't earn them a seat at the table. This could be the start of a playoffless run after a Super Bowl for this team. Uh, and while they've been to a Super Bowl lately, uh, they cannot say that for the other team across from the 4-9 Dallas Cowboys, who are out with a loss here from the playoffs. And uh, Jerry Jones would then be slated to draft fifth overall. Uh, two of the greatest franchises in NFL history, Frank, the Cowboys and the 49ers. Which one of them picks up the very crucial loss for the draft boards? Well, you know, your Cowboys have actually uh, been playing a little bit better in recent weeks. Uh, we saw them put up a decent effort against the Ravens two weeks ago. Uh, and then last week, they beat up on the Bengals 30-7. to But this matchup, to me, comes down to the head coaching. And it's Kyle Shanahan on one side, and it's Mike McCarthy on the other side. And I think that pretty much sums up my thinking for this game. Uh, the 49ers, like you said, uh, it's all out in front of them. 
They don't control their own destiny, per se, but they have to win out if they want any chance of making the playoffs. And it's been kind of a tumultuous year for San Francisco, given their injuries, and they've had some players on the COVID list. The playoffs still seem like a very, very uphill battle, but I think this is a good spot for them to at least give themselves a chance heading into Week 16 and beyond. I think the 49ers bounce back and win this game by four or five points, therefore covering the three-and-a-half-point spread. Yeah, I'm going to agree, and it's not really anything to do with the 49ers. Like, Obviously, they didn't look very good with Nick Mullins, a quarterback last week, versus a talented football team defense. But what do the Cowboys have to play for here anymore? You know, Their coach isn't about to get fired, like a lot of worse teams in the list. Their QB won his revenge game last week, and I'm glad you said they played well. And I'm also, speaking of the Falcons, looking forward to that big season. I'm looking forward to the season being over, as the season remembered as I thought the Cowboys were going 13-3. and uh, That season is soon to be done, but they also have that on their side, is that this is a season that they kind of just want to be over. And at the moment, they have a blue-chip talent coming in and a top-five pick. I don't understand why the Cowboys would even wake up for this game. The 49ers have a route, an incredibly unlikely one, and I can read it off for you in a second. But they could still make the playoffs uh, and have 40, 40 free agents this offseason who are still trying to prove their worth. Uh, I think the Hart wins this game for San Fran alone, uh, and they beat the Cowboys by at least four points. Well, that's a lot of free agents, and that's certainly looking down the line. But you know, Rodham, just popped in my head. Uh, we were talking about the Falcons, and now we're talking about the Cowboys. Um, I think we need to start calling these teams the vaccine teams, uh, teams that just need help. They, they just need something to come their way to give them uh, an injection of, of life, if, if you will. And there's been a lot of talk about vaccines recently for obvious reasons. So I think, uh, I think that's a new category. We start putting these teams in the vaccine category. What do you think about that? We'll have to remember that when we when we hear these teams later on this season. Uh, I remember the vaccine terms. I like that. I like that a lot. Uh, but one thing that we might like, Frank, is that we're finally on our last game of our tour of America's Bays. Uh, as we went from Green Bay to Tampa Bay to the San Francisco Bay. And we're finishing up here in the Chesapeake Bay where the Jaguars play the Ravens in M&T Bank Stadium. Yes, the 1-12 in 12 Jaguars have nothing to win and everything to lose as they are well out of the playoffs and must avoid wins at all costs to remain in the hunt for a top two picks, sitting a win behind the Jets. The 8-5 Ravens, meanwhile, are out of the playoffs right now and have a few avenues to cement their place as a wildcard team if they lose any of their last three games with the Jaguars, Giants, and Bengals. But at the moment, winning out and running the table is the easiest way for the flock to make the playoffs. Frank, do you think that starts right here this week, or are the Ravens going to be looking for other ways into the place? I think it does start here this week. They're favored by 13 and a half points. I think this is a spread that the Ravens cover. Uh, this Jaguars team uh, is just bad. They had a string of uh, they had a string of covering large spreads that we talked about a few weeks ago. Uh, that ended last week when they lost to the Titans 31 to 10. I don't think it's going to happen in this game. Uh, Gardner Minshew is back in the starting lineup, uh, which is makes for more entertainment value, I guess, than watching Mike Lennon against this Ravens team. But we've been saying for weeks now that we are waiting for the for a turning point for this Ravens team, um, for them to turn their season around and propel them towards playoff push. If it doesn't end up being that miraculous uh, storybook finish against the Browns on Monday Night Football, then it's not going to happen ever. And I think it will be that Monday Night finish that propels them 
towards a playoff push, starting here against the Jaguars on Sunday. Yeah, the Jaguars are hard to be a team to trust right now, mostly because they only have one win in 12 games, and their money line of plus 600, while gigantic, uh, is plainly not worth it. They're going to play, play, they're going to be playing Gardner Minshew, and they can enjoy whatever that means for them, whatever that means for him. But on the defensive side of the ball, they just allowed Derrick Henry to run well over 200 yards and have week in, week out, allowed, allowed 100 yard runners in a majority of their games. Uh, and the Ravens enter Sunday averaging 173.8 yards on the ground. Uh, I would be terrified if I was playing on the Jaguars defense, and I imagine that the Ravens will run all over this game. A surprise pick I think I have for that for this game specifically is actually going to be the under, as I expect Gus Bus, J.K. Dobbins, and James Robinson to field a lot of the work and run that clock down quite a lot. Uh, so I'd be pretty happy taking the under anywhere under 52-48. It's an interesting proposition for sure, and uh, I've worn him shots that you wouldn't trust a football team that has just one win on the season. That is uh, quite a development there. Well, Frank, I barely trust a team that has nine wins uh, that is almost a guaranteed playoff team to win any games ever. Uh, and you know that 9-5 team happens to be the Indianapolis Colts, who uh, week in and weekend, I remind everyone that I despise, but this week they'll be playing host to the Texans. The 4-9 Texans, who have been eliminated from the playoffs fully, uh, one of the few teams from the AFC, one of the last teams in the AFC to do it. Uh, they do not have their first-round pick and will not be selecting in the first round due to their trade for Loremi Tunsil just this year. Uh, whereas the 9-5 Colts are firmly a wildcard team, but would need to keep up with the Titans, who currently have the tiebreaker thanks to divisional win percentage. Uh, they also don't have the tiebreaker over the Browns, who are one game behind them thanks to the Week 5 matchup. So the Colts, while pretty sure of themselves, do need to keep racking up wins. Frank, at a money at a money line of plus 270, is Houston's value calling your name at all, or are you running with the Indianapolis Colts at minus 7? I'm running with the Colts here in this matchup. Surprise, surprise. Uh, I just have no faith in a Texans team, uh, regardless of what would have happened last week, but especially considering they just lost to the Bears. 9 points. That is not something that should uh, that is something that should be cause for concern. And you can say this entire season is cause for concern for Houston. Uh, with Deshaun Watson playing under center, anything is possible. The Texans can score 30 points in this game. 20-plus uh, points might even be a certainty, even though this Colts defense is pretty impressive. Uh, the last time these two teams met, the Colts won 26-20. to Texans had a chance to win that game, but they faltered late. I think we see that happen here again, but I actually think the Colts win this game by more than a touchdown. Uh, the spread is exactly minus seven. Uh, that's a tricky spot. That, that's right on the edge, I think. It could teeter either way, but I'm going to go with the better team on both sides of the ball and the better coach uh, and a Colts team that, like you said, they need to keep winning these games. And I don't think the Texans play spoiler here in this particular spot. Frank, I got a surprise for you. I'm going to pick the Colts to win this game over the Texans for the exact reason you just finished there with. They have to win these games to continue playing. Uh, but I think that they might be a little focused on the fact that they have to play a gigantic game next week uh, that could really even decide if they're going to make the playoffs at all. 
versus the Steelers. And I think that might be a weight over their heads a little bit more than these Texans. Uh, and this might be on the back of them also missing Darius Leonard due to a back injury, Xavier Rhodes due to an unknown knee injury, though he is likely to play, and Anthony Costanzo, who tweaked his MCL just last week and is unlikely to play this week, are pretty major injuries uh, from pretty major positions throughout this team. And while I always do hate on this Colts, I do think that they are in a pretty solid position to win here. Uh, but like you said, with Deshaun Watson, anything is possible. I mean, not many teams are capable of scoring 41 points one week and then two weeks later only scoring seven. Uh, it's just very unlikely. And the fact that the Colts only won by six points in their last matchup kind of makes me believe that if Deshaun Watson plays a little bit better of a game, doesn't get a safety, which he has now in back-to-back -back games, I think that this is a much closer game. And I think that not only is it possible that the Texans keep this game close, that they could potentially win this game, but I think at the very least, Houston keeps it within a touchdown. Sean Watson is uh, quite a, a wealthy man after getting that large contract extension, but I think we need to start, I think we or somebody out there needs to start a GoFundMe page to get Deshaun Watson out of Houston and put him on a team that matters, a team that will cherish him, take care of him, and put the right players around him so that he can be competitive, because that's what he deserves, and it's malfeasance that this Houston team uh, continues to do the exact opposite. And as somebody who's not a Texans fan, uh, neither of us are, I think you'd agree with me that uh, it's kind of tough to watch. It's tough to see. It's incredibly tough scene, especially when you look across the league at teams who know how to do it. You know, you build your offensive line, you maybe build a baseline defense, get a little bit of a wide receiver core, and you could make put any rookie quarterback in a good situation to be in. It's been years since Deshaun Watson was labeled a rookie. You just look at the guy that they at the team that they traded their first round pick to, who's going to pick top ten because of how many losses they're dialing up. The Miami Dolphins. That's a lesson for how to build around a quarterback, even before you have him on the roster. And Tua Tagovailoa is playing great on his team that is about to face the Patriots because of the way they built that team. The Patriots, who are six and seven, and while they are not eliminated out of the playoff race, would need a few miracles to go there. The most notable of which is, of course, beating the Dolphins here to start, which would be big in the wild card race. The Dolphins, who are eight and five don't find themselves wildcard race with the Ravens and Raiders, uh, kind of need this win to, to keep in line with those two teams because neither of them have too tough of matchups this week and could potentially both eke their way out and above the Dolphins this week. With a money line of plus 112, the Pats are sitting pretty close to the Miami spread of minus two. Frank, which way do you think it goes? Bill Belichick versus Brian Flores. Well, that's a heck of a coaching matchup. That you just listed. That's uh, the classic Padawan meets the Jedi. Uh, and in this particular instance, I'm going to go with Padawan because I think the Dolphins are going to win this game. Uh, what scares me about this prediction is Bill Belichick's track record against rookie quarterbacks. Uh, he has a career record of 20 and 5 in that scenario. And we saw what he did to Justin Herbert in that Chargers team just a couple weeks ago, holding them scoreless, winning 45 to 0. Herbert has been more impressive than Tua this year, but the biggest difference in this scenario is that the Dolphins are significantly better than the Chargers, both in the coaching department and on both sides of the football. And this is a Dolphins team that intercepted Patrick Mahomes three times last week. They still lost the game. Uh, they managed to back to recover. But if they can do that to Mahomes and the Chiefs, I can only imagine how much they're going to be salivating at playing a Patriots team with Cam Newton playing under center, who has only five touchdowns to 10 interceptions on the season. 
Now, with the past three games, Newton has only thrown 272 passing yards. This is the Dolphins' defense allowing the second fewest yards per game in the NFL, and they're tied to the league lead in takeaways. I think the strength of their defense, as well as the as well as Flores being able to hold up his own against Bel- against Belichick, is going to allow the Dolphins to win this game. I do think it's going to be close, but they'll win by a field goal or four points, which will be enough for them to cover that two-point spread. I'm surprised at that analysis because while their defense is phenomenal, it's their passing defense that is the one that catches eyes. And Xavier Howard and Brian Byron Jones have been fantastic this year, especially Howard, who might be the number one corner in the league at the moment. Uh, but is that really a problem for Cam Newton, who throws the ball about 10 to 11 times a game? I'm more concerned about whether Kyle Van Noy in a pretty old interior defense is going to manage to rush, contain the rusher who easily could pass over 100 rushing yards and multiple rushing touchdowns this game. I think that Belichick is incredibly familiar with his old defensive coordinator, and I think a guy who, while doesn't have a great record when facing his old assistant coach at 14 and 14, um, he does have a good record, like you mentioned, of rookies. And I think on the defensive side of the ball, he's actually going to have the advantage. Uh, well, not the most talented defense, especially compared to the one on the Dolphins side. Uh, I think that's going to cause a big problem. Uh, and well, yeah, he's not great against his former tr- against his coaching tree. Uh, he has done well against Verbell. He's done well against Cornell. And I think it's time for him to do well <laughs> against Flores. Well, that's a lot of L's that you just lifted off. Um, this would be a big loss for the Dolphins if they do, in fact, lose this game, like you said. But then they no longer control their own destiny in the playoff race. Uh, so that would certainly be something to keep an eye on. Uh, this is a toss-up, honestly, and I think it's going to be a good game. Uh, it's also worth noting, though, the Dolphins, they have had the Patriots number recently, perhaps more so than any other team. So we'll have to see if that comes to fruition again in this matchup. Yeah, hopefully it will come into fruition. Though speaking of former protégés of Bill Belichick, one of them is gone. Uh, Matt Patricia, the guy that came before Brian Flores, is already ousted as the Lions and the 5-8 and eight Lions. Uh, will be playing away in Nashville versus the Titans, members with the Colts. So this is a big one for Colts fans like you to continue watching. Uh, the 5-8 and eight Lions, like the rest of the NFL, NFC's seemingly endless crop of below-average but not awful teams, are one loss away from elimination, with the 11th pick currently in hand for whoever replaces Matt Patricia, and they try to make the playoffs for the first time since Jim Caldwell. Uh, pretty questionable for their coaching decisions, whereas the 9-4 and four Titans would need two wins or a win here and a Ravens, Dolphins, or Raiders loss to lock into the playoffs. They will con- continue to need to battle to keep their arms-length lead in the AFC South versus the Colts, though a win next week versus the Texans locks in their divisional crown. They went to the AFC Championship last year. Frank, do you see a good path for them to continue during the regular season to maybe repeat again for the Titans here? Definitely do. Uh, they have a fairly favorable schedule down the stretch, uh, specifically this game, uh, which is a tasty matchup if you're a Titans fan. Uh, this Lions team, they're another vaccine team. Uh, they're just like the Texans. Uh, there's some similarities between them and Houston, I think. Like I was saying, the Texans have not done a good job surrounding Deshaun Watson with talent. You can kind of say the same thing about the Lions and Matthew Stafford for the past decade. And Stafford is questionable in this match- matchup with a rib injury. He hasn't practiced as of Wednesday, but the Lions are not ruling out the chance that he plays. As a minus 10.5 favorite, I think you have to fade the t- 
not fade. I think you have to favor the Titans here, regardless of Stafford's status, because if he does play, certainly you would think the Lions have a better chance of covering. Uh, but even if he does, I think there's still a 50-50 shot that this game is kind of a blowout. And it's one that I think the Titans will be on the right side of winning this game and improving to 10-4 and four on the year. Yeah, that would, that would put them right on the cusp of that home playoff game. Uh, and I've got to agree with you that that's absolutely how it's going to break down. Whether or not Matt Stafford's playing is just, you know, it's just a formality at this point. The Lions are out of the playoffs technically, and the Titans still really need to win this game. So I imagine the emotion is fully on the Titans' side. Uh, you know what else is on the Titans' side? The fact that they're a good football team. Currently at third in both passing and rushing offensive DVOA, uh, which is phenomenal for a team that isn't really as balanced when you think of it as pretty much just Derrick Henry and others. Uh, I think the Lions are not going to be able to contend on either one of those fronts, specifically against the currently on path for 2,000-yard Derrick Henry. Uh, so I see this one as just a slight bump in the road for the Titans into hosting and winning the AFC South. Yeah, you know, I'm glad you mentioned Derrick Henry here uh, because I actually have a prop that I want to throw out, and I'm curious to see what you think. You mentioned that he might be on a path for 2,000 yards rushing. Uh, as of week 15, heading into week 15, he has 1,532 rushing yards on the year, ever so quietly, just sitting 468 yards away from that 2,000 threshold. Uh, they play the, the Titans play the Lions, and then the Packers – and then the Texans, so three not-so-great rush defenses, wrote them at plus 300. Do you think that Henry could actually become one of the few runners in NFL history to eclipse 2,000 yards? I want to see it happen. I really do. I, I'm hoping for him, but he's sitting right now with 297 rushes. If the division is clinched next week and that home playoff game is guaranteed, I don't see a reason to why they would play him week 17. In fact, he got benched week 17 of last year when they had already made the playoffs. Uh, and I think that missing an entire game is going to be a huge hurt in uh, him doing that, especially when it's going to be a game against Houston, who doesn't really have that great of a defense. It would take quite an effort from him against Detroit and Green Bay, and that that's entirely possible that he gets it in two games and not even need the third. Uh, but I, I just think that logic dictates the fact that if this is a playoff team, they cannot be running their horse, their workhorse into the ground at almost 350 rushing attempts by the end of the season. And uh, that doesn't even include the playoffs. So I can't imagine that he plays all three of these games. I can't imagine that he gets enough snaps to do it. Uh, and I hate to say it, but I'm going to take the no here. Frank, do you think the same? Yeah, I think that's the side I would lean to. Uh, it would be remarkable if it does happen. And I think it would only, I think regardless of whether or not it does, you have to consider Derrick Henry as a legitimate candidate to be a finalist for MVP behind some of the quarterbacks like Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers. Uh, it's hard for a running back to quietly have almost 2,000 rushing yards, but it feels like he's just been, we've just become accustomed to him having 100 yards, 100 plus yards every game with an occasional, occasional 200 yard rushing game. Uh, he's just good. Even if he comes up short with, let's say, 18, 1,800 rushing yards, that's nothing to scoff at. You know, I wouldn't rule it out. Uh, stranger, stranger things have happened. 
Stranger Things have happened. Uh, 2,000 Yards is it's such an impressive, incredible feat uh, that we it's kind of unrealistic to set for so many of these running backs because, you know, 1,000 is an impressive mark by itself. To double that is uh, is insane. And the next two teams we're going to talk about are incredibly familiar with achieving that feat as the Bears travel to Minnesota to play the Vikings. Obviously, I'm referring to Walter Payton and Adrian Peterson, two of the greatest running backs of all time to have hit the 2,000-yard mark. Uh, but this year's editions of both of these teams feature neither of those incredible running backs. So Dalvin Cook, maybe one day uh, we'll see him in that club. But for right now, both of these teams currently sit at 6 and 7, tied in record. And playing each other right now could be probably the biggest game of any of these in determining playoff orders, as a win here for the Bears puts them at just about 50% likeliness of making the playoffs, and a win for the Vikings does the same. So pretty much both of their futures are in line to whoever wins this game is has still as a shot for the playoffs, and whoever loses is officially out and will probably receive a top 10 pick along with it. Bears are not favored here, though. They have the money line at plus 150 as the away team. Minnesota favored by more than a field goal, minus three and a half. Frank, which way are you going here? I'd like the Bears in this spot to win and get, and get back to and get back to 500. I know I've been tough on this Bears team. Uh, they turned it around last week against the Texans. I don't know how much stock you can really put into that game, but since Mitch Trubisky took his starting job back from Nick Foles, the Bears are averaging 30 points a game, and this Vikings team is giving up 31 points a game at home on the season. Defensively, this is not a matchup that favors Minnesota at all. And on the flip side, you have to expect that the Bears are able to frustrate Kirk Cousins at least enough to come out with the victory, at the very least cover that three-and-a-half-point spread. But with the money line of plus 150, I think the value here is with Chicago, and it's not with Minnesota. Well, Frank, nothing makes me happier than hearing you on the Bears' side. But you know one thing that does make me happier is saying a guy's name who I haven't said in a while. It's time for me to talk about my favorite player in the NFL. It's Roquan Smith. Uh, Roquan, currently second in the NFL in tackles for a loss, trailing only future defensive player of the year, TJ Watt. Uh, And I think a big factor of why I bring that up is Dalvin Cook is currently the most tackled for loss player in the NFL despite being one of the league leaders in rushing and I think a big problem with that is the fact that he makes huge plays out of nothing but against a linebacker core as talented as this Bears one is I think Roquan Smith is going to have a wonderful game locking down probably the only efficient part of this Vikings team and despite their phenomenal wide receivers Kirk Cousins is still in blind to always make a mistake and possibly throw away this game as is Mitch Trubisky but at the very least one of these teams can expect little to no, at least one of these teams can expect help from the defense uh, as the Bears still incredibly outrank, at least by 10 places, the Vikings defense in almost every metric. I'm expecting a great game from my boy Roquan, his fellow mate Trevathan. I think they're going to do great against Dalvin Cook, and I think they're propelling this Bears team to continue staying in the playoff hunt. Yeah, well, I know you're happy that the Bears are back in the playoff saddle. Uh, it was a rough stretch there for you as somebody who wanted the Bears to win, and they continuously kept losing, breaking your heart. Now we're both on the Bears train, at least in this week. But, you know, Rodham, it's been a rough year for field goal kicking in the NFL this year. And perhaps the poster boy of that is Dan Bailey, who is the Vikings kicker. Vikings have a backup kicker, but they would be wise to go on, go find somebody on the street uh, because anybody would be better than Dan Bailey. And I mean anybody, you, me, uh, maybe we should go kick for Minnesota. 
but you know, it's just something about being a Vikings kicker just makes you fail uh, miserably at many points in your career. Uh, but one team that can't say that is the picture of consistency when it comes to the kicking position is the Seattle Seahawks, who went from questionable Hall of Famer Stephen Hauschka to questionable Hall of Famer Sebastian Janikowski, and now have Jason Myers, uh, the loaf of bread, as their kicker. And he will be kicking against the Washington football team in Landover this weekend, playing the football team who just came off a 23-15 to victory over the San Francisco 49 our defensive slog. Washington has a money line of plus 200 to beat the Seahawks, where the Seahawks are minus five and a half. Uh, Washington does not have to win this game to continue to stay in this divisional hunt, uh, though they will need to win two out of their last three to guarantee a playoff spot. On the other hand, the Seahawks, who sit currently at nine and four, are one win away from locking into the playoffs. Uh, will need to keep up with the Rams, who are one game higher than them uh, to win the division and are still in the conversation for a bye week, but that likely will disappear with a win from either the Packers, the Rams, or the Saints this week. Frank, Seahawks-Washington, a pretty big game, especially with both of them handling business last week. Uh, how do you see this one going out? It is a big game, um, a much bigger game than we would have expected when this game was on the schedule a few weeks ago. But this Washington team... It's hard to say any defense in the NFL right now is playing better than the football teams. And they've allowed less than 20 points in four straight games, all four of those games being victories. Uh, and this is a huge litmus test game for them. Because the best quarterback that they've played during this winning streak is Ben Roethlisberger in the Steelers two weeks ago. Last week, they were able to beat up, beat up on Nick Mullins. They played Andy Dalton. And they played Joe Burrow for half the game and Ryan Finley for the other half of the game against the Bengals in week 11. So Russell Wilson is much different than all of those players. And I think that it's going to be a challenge for Washington to keep up the same defensive tenacity against a player like Wilson, who seems to have gotten his mojo back with a 40-point onslaught against the Jets. I think Washington covers the five-and-a-half-point spread. I think this is a close game especially because Washington is at home and it's outdoors. Um, but I think the Seahawks win this game. Russell Wilson will make too many plays late when it matters the most. Uh, Seahawks on the money line, but Washington plus 5.5 out of respect, once again, for what they've done recently, specifically on the defensive side of the ball. And they have done a wonderful job on the defense side of the ball, but that doesn't really matter when you're facing one of the most talented quarterbacks in the league. And I think what you mentioned is that, you know, Russ finally got cooking again uh, for that 40-point bomb that he dropped on the Jets. Uh, and I think that when Russ gets hot, that's not a one-game situation. That is a multi-game situation. And I actually think that I would be very content in taking the usual Aaron Rodgers treatment of two and a half touchdowns on Russell Wilson on this one, uh, because I think that we're going to see a great game out of Russ that will keep his Seahawks at least five points over the football team. I do concede that I think a plus 5.5 is a fantastic line. I would play either of these, but something about this game is telling me Russell Wilson's about to go off. And that uh, it will be a big deal as he's going to try and keep this hot streak up uh, into next week's gigantic game that will decide the division versus the Ram. Yeah, well, the biggest wild card in this game and something we didn't even mention is the quarterback position for Washington because Alex Smith exited that game against the 49ers last week with what's being labeled as a calf injury. He says he feels all right. And that's a direct quote. Alex Smith feels all right. But his status for this game is up in the air. And if Washington is deploying Dwayne Haskins at quarterback instead of Alex Smith. Uh, we could debate how much of a drop-off that is, but that doesn't bode well for Washington's hopes of winning this game, I think. 
But even so, uh, given how well their defense has been playing, uh, I still think they can keep it close. But, you know, Rodham, I want to ask you, uh, Coach of the Year, when we were doing our midseason preview, we kind of had it narrowed down to Mike Tomlin and a couple others who had an outside shot. But uh, one guy whose odds have shot up recently is Ron Rivera. He's now the second, he is now is the second best odds behind Tomlin at plus 350 to be Coach of the Year. Uh, given the way that Washington's turned their season around and won four straight games, uh, if they win the division, knowing all the adversity that they faced and that Ron Rivera faced specific, specifically, do you think he has a legitimate chance and shot to be the coach of the year when it's all said and done? Yeah, I think he has a good shot. And I think the narrative is his biggest calling card, though, is because I'm not still impressed by any other part of this team aside from the defense with filled with incredibly talented first round picks uh, throughout the defense. And I, I don't know how much of that can be really said to coaching. And I, while it'd be great to see a cancer survivor that turned a crapshoot team into a playoff contender. I think we're giving a little bit too much credit to winning a division that is the worst division in football in 25 years. Uh, we're really overlooking guys like Brian Flores, who's still leading the Dolphins from a terrible finish last year with only four wins to probably a double-digit win season. We're looking over guys like Kevin Stefanski, who is, playing, is taking the Browns to the playoffs in the first time in 13 years. We've been looking over guys like Mike Tomlin, who even two straight losses is still 11-2. and two. I think Washington has a nice little story there. Rivera definitely deserves credit for what he's done, but I don't think this is anything more than a little bit of a nice story and a honorable mention as he places maybe fourth or fifth on the on the rankings. Yeah, I kind of agree with most of what you said. And Coach of the Year tends to be a narrative thing more often than not, so it's not surprising to see Vegas favoring Rivera a little bit at this point in the season. But I think it goes without saying that whereas it looked like Mike Tomlin was a runaway favorite, uh, could end up being a bit of a toss-up between a few guys when the season's over. Yeah, and while one of those guys could have been Cliffs Kingsbury to start the season, he has played his way out of the conversation. Uh, the last week will be a better revival of that as uh, we can move into another matchup of bird teams. And you know how much I love talking about that as the Philadelphia Eagles travel to Glendale, Arizona to play the Arizona Cardinals. The Eagles, who finally pick up a win after a much, much needed win. Uh, with Jalen Hurts, a quarterback, move over to 4-8-1, and one, currently picking ninth. A win, a loss, drops them out of the playoff hunt uh, and firmly into what player they're going to draft next. Meanwhile, the team across from them, the Arizona Cardinals, have not yet secured their playoff position, but are currently the last team in the wild card for the NFC, sitting at 7-6. and six. They're going to have to win out. Uh, or at least stay incredibly competitive to keep their arm's length away from both San Francisco, Chicago, Minnesota, uh, and a huge slew of teams right behind them in the race. But they do have the advantage being 7-6. and six. Frank, bird teams, huge battle of running quarterbacks and should be probably the most interesting battle of quarterbacks this week. Uh, which running quarterback do you favor here? Tough, because I like Kyler Murray a lot, and I also like Jalen Hurts a lot. And I'm happy to see Hurts in the – I was happy to see Hurts in the Eagles win last week, even though they proved me wrong in my prediction to pick the Saints. But I don't envision them doing it again here against the Cardinals team that, like you said, is in a spot where they need to keep winning. And these last three games for the Cardinals are very important for them to keep their playoff hopes alive and then also position themselves in the wild card hierarchy. And uh, we counted them out last week, and we picked the Giants to beat them. And what they did is prove us wrong. 
And they kind of look like the same Cardinals team that we saw a few weeks ago uh, for the first time. Their defense was clicking and firing on all cylinders in that game. They made life a living hell for Daniel Jones, uh, so much so that Jones was taken out late for Colt McCoy. Um, I think Jalen Hurts has a better ability to evade the pass rush that this Cardinals team is going to throw at him than Daniel Jones does. But I think the Cardinals come out with a victory here, a second straight victory. Um, I'm taking the Eagles plus six and a half. I think that their defensive line and their ability to manage the clock uh, on the strength of their rushing attack with Miles Sanders in the backfield and, of course, Hurts will make this game close. But the Cardinals will take it late because they do have the advantage at quarterback. And I think Kyler Murray, who had 47 rushing yards last week, uh, his highest total in quite some time, will uh, make some plays with both his legs and his arm in the fourth quarter. Yeah, against an incredibly old Eagles front line, I think that might be true that he might just get out of that. He might just be out of the reach of guys like Brandon Graham and Fletcher Cox. Uh, but I think I'm going to disagree with you on the result there because, yeah, they made life a living hell for Daniel Dimes. And why I love talking about how good I think Daniel Dimes could potentially be, that's not too impressive of a feat. Um, and yeah, they played a good game on offense, and I'm very impressed by that. But the Eagles also played an incredibly impressive game of offense and looked like a whole new one with a new multifaceted quarterback at the helm. Uh, and I think that the Eagles really can't be counted out of this one so much so that a plus 220, I think the value is driving me to the Eagles. And I don't really have a lot of stats to really back this one up aside from they're riding a high from last week and they beat the number one team in the NFC 24 to 21. Yeah, they didn't have Drew Brees, but. Kyler Murray still has not played as well since his injury, aside from that game against the Giants. And again, you know, I, th I think a similar thing with the Ron Vera situation. I think we're giving a little bit too much credit to these NFC East teams that were part of the worst division in football for a reason. Uh, and so I think the Eagles, with their quarterback situation, which were supposed to be one of the best teams in this division, uh, I think will manage to take care of business at a plus 220 will earn me some money. Well, they did it last week, and uh, that was a spot-on call by you to pick that upset over New Orleans, uh, something not a lot of people were bold enough to do. So props to you, and if, and if it happens again, I might have to order you a cheesesteak or uh, treat you to a sub sometime because uh, you certainly have a knack for predicting these Philadelphia games. Yeah, always excited for a nice Philly cheesesteak, uh, and I love to say me some fly, Eagles fly, but rather than Eagles, we'll talk about Andy Reid or Sean Payton, who will be playing each other uh, this weekend in the Superdome at 4 o'clock. The final game of a 4 o'clock slate is the Chiefs take on the Saints, the number one team in the West, number one team in the AFC versus the number one team in the NFC. Probably, and not probably, the best game of this week. Absolutely. Kansas City coming off a 33-27 to victory over Miami. They kept it close. Mahomes threw two interceptions, uh, but even when you stop the robot, you still got to face the stars aside him, uh, and they still managed to win there as New Orleans surprisingly took a loss to Philadelphia, as we just mentioned, 21-24. to the Chiefs for the fifth time in a row and the sixth time since Andy Reid took charge in 2013 have won their division already and are all but locked up on the first seed in the AFC. They will still need to win a pair of games to get that seeding, and it might be that they get one here as they're favored by minus three. The Saints, on the other hand, are not in as good position. They're probably going to have to win out or at the very least win this game and win their Week 17 game to confirm that they have the divisional win percentage. But both these teams are still in the race for the bye, Frank. Which team do you think takes that step forward, though, in securing their bye and wins here? I think it's the Chiefs. And the Chiefs are 0-5 against the spread in the past five games. And it, it's been a rough time 
it's been a rough time for people betting on KC to beat teams decisively because they haven't been doing it. But last week against the Dolphins, uh, their spread was a touchdown, and they only ended up they only ended up winning by six points, and that was really the ultimate backdoor cover by Miami because the Dolphins were driving down the field and they were losing 33 to 24 and they opted to kick a field goal and they go for an onside kick with 30 seconds left. And as somebody who picked the Dolphins to cover that spread, uh, you know, I was happy, but really that was kind of a, kind of a decisive win for the chiefs. I think they didn't play their best game and they still managed to win by six points against one of the better teams in the AFC and this saints team, while, while the Saints team is one of the better teams in the NFC, I don't think that with Taysom Hill under center, they're going to be able to score enough points here to beat Kansas City, even though they're at home. Sean Payton is 9-3 and three as a home underdog with New Orleans, but this Chiefs team just has too much firepower offensively, and I think that they're going to win by more than a field goal, which would be more than their minus three spread, obviously, and for the first time in five weeks, I think they cover the spread and uh, do so via a win of five to seven points. And everything you said is, is is good and well, and I think that is it's a good reason to believe that the Chiefs are going to be advantageous. But one of the big things for me is that nine and three that you mentioned of Sean Payton at home. Uh, and I think it's a little bit of a big factor here. And while the Chiefs are usually playing in one of the best home field advantages in Aaron Head Stadium, the Saints still rank out for most most numbers as the best home field advantage of the Superdome. Uh, and again, like that Philadelphia game, I think the value at plus 163 for the best team in the NFC is interesting. Um, Andy Reid is probably going to throw a lot of things at the wall, I imagine, here, as is Sean Payton. Uh, because when you don't usually get a matchup of two of the best teams in the NFL like this, and when you do, you usually see a lot of trick plays to see what works, what doesn't work. Uh, and if you're going to need that information later, potentially for a Super Bowl matchup, uh, should be interesting. I think Reed, though, might keep it a little vanilla, keep more of what he has hidden in under stock because he knows he's more likely to make it than Peyton is. Uh, and with Taysom Hill currently listed at quarterback, as you mentioned, I think he's going to have a few more trick plays lined up. And I wouldn't be surprised to see Jameis Winston in there uh, just to f- mess mm. up the flow that Andy Reed goes on. Uh, so I'm predicting that Sean Payton weasels and maneuvers and does all the craziest stuff that he's so good at doing his way right through Andy Reid and grabs a victory here at home for plus 163 value. Uh, either way, I think the minus three, either way, I think the plus three for New Orleans is good because, I mean, while their defense isn't as quality as Miami's, I think there is a formula that has been done multiple times this season, not only by the Dolphins, but by the Raiders. That is there to make Mahomes slow down. Uh, New Orleans would be foolish to not look at that and know how to apply it. And they are a team that's capable of doing it. Uh, so we'll just see on this Sunday. Yeah, we will for sure. And like you said, this is the marquee game of the week. And I agree with that entirely. You know, as somebody who picked Chief Saints to be the Super Bowl matchup before the season started, got to say I'm feeling pretty confident about that prediction, regardless of what happens in this game. Uh, and there's good value on this actually being the Super Bowl matchup. Because if you won the bet on it, it's plus 550, whereas the no is minus 1,000. But, you know, Rotom, could we be looking at a Super Bowl preview here in this matchup, do you think? I would say yes. I mean, the Chiefs side is pretty locked down. They're the best team in the AFC by leaps and bounds. Uh, the Saints, if they get Drew Brees to full health, I think are easily the best team in the NFC. Uh, will they make it all the way? Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady... And Russell Wilson may have a thing to say about that, uh, but I would still take the Saints over anyone and would dare to put money down that this will still be the matchup. Yeah, plus 550, not a bad place to put your money. 
somewhere you don't want to put your money on a Super Bowl matchup are the two teams that we're going to be seeing on Sunday night. One of them might ask the Super Bowl. You haven't even talked about the playoffs since 2009. But here we are, Frank, one game away. We are one singular game away from the Cleveland Browns locking in as playoff members for the first time since 2009. Uh, and like we talked earlier with Ron Rivera, is an incredible credit to how well Kevin Stavansky has turned around this team uh, that used to be the laughingstock of the whole league. And a similar well done should be given to the other coach on the other sideline of the five and eight New York Giants, who are still only one win out away from the divisional crown of the NFC East. Uh, so Joe Judge, Kevin Stefanski, a great coaching matchup. Both of these teams still do need wins to guarantee their playoff success. Uh, the Giants need a little bit more now that they are one game behind the football team, thanks to their loss on Sunday night. Uh, whereas the Browns threw away their chance of being divisional winners with a loss against Baltimore, still so close to their first playoff match in a long, long time. Frank, do you see that coming for the Browns this week, or maybe do they have to wait another week as they face the Giants? I think it's going to come this week against the Giants, and I think the Browns will win this game, and they'll do so um, by more than four and a half points. So I think they're going to cover the spread. Uh, the Browns were just on the wrong end of one of the better games of the past decade, really, and maybe one of the better games we've seen ever. They scored 42 points in that loss to the Ravens and had a couple more plays gone their way. We could be talking about them in a much different light. And anytime, anytime you're on the losing side of such a high stakes emotional battle like that, it can either be a deflating loss or it can be an uplifting loss. And I, I'm expecting the latter to happen to a certain extent. I still think that the Browns can take away quite a few positive things from that game against the Ravens. They played extremely well on the offensive side of the ball. They're still one of the most potent rushing attacks in the NFL. Uh, defensively, they definitely have some issues, but I don't think those issues will manifest enough against the Giants here for them really to find themselves in trouble. And uh, for the Giants, this would be a tough loss that a tough loss that kind of deflates their playoff hopes. Uh, but that's kind of but that is the direction that I see this game going. And it's the direction I think most people say when they're looking at a team that only has five wins versus a team that's about to hit double digits. But the Ravens just played the Browns in their Super Bowl. Uh, you know, whether you agree on that mentality or not, I think it, it's hard to say that they're going to go hard on back to back weeks, especially when they just lost such a close, close game, and therefore I think the Giants are going to keep it close by virtue of maybe the Browns not being in it as much as they should be because they're not playing for that division title anymore. While the Giants have not been too effective, uh, especially without Daniel Jones in the quarterback position, uh, even with Daniel Jones in the quarterback position, they've created a crap ton of turnovers. Uh, every once in a while, you do get a good game out of these Giants, especially when they're facing a quarterback that'll give them the ball more. And while Baker had his first interception and in over 175 passes thrown, against the Ravens. I can't imagine that he keeps up that pace that he was already on, and uh, I think he compounds that a little bit more. Does Miles Garrett have a good game here? I dare imagine so. Daniel Jones got sacked six week, six times last week, uh, and, I dare, and I think Miles Garrett is going to take part in that sack fest, uh, but I think in a very low-scoring affair at the end of the day between the Giants and the Browns, I think the Giants are going to eke their way into a victory, or at the very least, keep it close at plus 4.5. Well, that would certainly be uh, an interesting storyline on Saturday Night Football if that happens. Uh, just to make one more note, the Browns, three of the four Browns losses this year have come within the division, one to the Steelers, both to the Ravens. Uh, but against the NFC this year, they're 3-0 and undefeated. So if they beat the Giants here, that's a clean sweep of the NFC East for Cleveland. 
which I guess doesn't mean all that much anymore, but still notable nonetheless. Would definitely be impressive, and not something that the Steelers can say since they lost to the Washington football team two weeks ago, but maybe they'll continue their clean sweep of the division uh, that they're currently in as they play the Bengals, uh, their seventh and kind of ultimate game in the division before they face the Browns on week 17. Uh, but for Monday Night Football, the Steelers will be playing the Bengals. Uh, the Bengals, who are still literally, the Bengals at 210 and 1, are solidly locked in to the number three pick, being one and a half games behind Jacksonville for the number two and one and a half games in front of the ALA Chargers for number four. Uh, a loss here would do them well in keeping that pick, though, uh, and a win for the Steelers at 11-2 and two would be pretty good in getting them back in the conversation for the number one spot in the conference if they need a buy. Uh, the money, though, happens to be on Pittsburgh, who's favored by 11.5, and the Cincinnati money line is at plus 510, considerably smaller than the Jets one. Uh, do you think that Vegas is now interpreting the Rams as a better team than the Steelers, or do you just think that the Jets are that much worse of a team than the Bengals? I think it has to be a little bit of both, but I, I think it's more so that Vegas is favoring the Rams more than the Steelers, and it's hard to blame them, really, based on what we've seen in recent weeks. Uh, the Steelers team is kind of headed in the wrong direction. They've lost two in a row, but even in the game, even in that game against the Ravens in Week 12, they didn't look all that great. They only scored 19 points against the JV team, basically, um, and so the Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh needs uh, a convincing win in the worst way possible. And this matchup here against the Bengals, perfect place for that to happen and for them to kind of right the ship. Because the Jets may be in a league of their own, but this Bengals team can't be considered too far behind them in terms of the bottom tier of the NFL. Just two wins on the season. Uh, the Bengals have not won since week eight. They've scored 14 points combined in their past two weeks. Only seven of those points were actually scored on offense. One of them was a punt return. Uh, I think the Steelers win here by more than 11 half points. And I don't see any way that the Bengals cover this game, even though the Steelers have shown some shown some cracks in the armor. Yeah, and that's a good way to phrase it because cracks in the armor are definitely a is cracks in the armor are dangerous. Uh, but to lose to the Bengals, the Steelers essentially would just have to take off their armor and face the Bengals naked. Um, and that is not something I imagine Mike Tomlin will be telling his team to do. Uh, and for that reason, I'll keep it similarly short. Uh, the Steelers are going to win this game by at least two touchdowns, especially in Big Ben probably trying to put himself in a position to look good uh, after throwing a lot of ropey, inaccurate, poorly decided passes last week. I expect a big game from Bing Roethlisberger, and I think his over two touchdowns this week will probably be a player prop that I will take. Yeah, I think that player prop for Roethlisberger uh, is a good call. But, you know, Rodham, I got to ask you, how concerned, if you're a Steelers fan, how concerned would you be right now based on what you've seen over the past few weeks? Because now sitting at 11-2, and two, you're no longer in the driver's seat for the number one seed, and you have the Bills clipping at your heels for the number two seed in the AFC, also holding that tiebreaker. Is it panic time in Pittsburgh, or not yet because you are still 11-2 on the season? I think that's the big thing uh, to note out there. I mean, they're still 11-2. and two. Back-to-back games lost is kind of a big deal, but every team is going to have cracks, like you said. Um, and really, I don't think there's a big talent gap between teams five through nine in the AFC, which, of course, is Las Vegas, Miami, Baltimore, uh, Indianapolis and Cleveland, the teams that aren't winning their divisions. But I just would find it 
I, I would find myself surprised if really you're going to say that Pittsburgh isn't favored to win any one of those games. The Buffalo game does show a lot, but at any sim at any singular point, this Steelers defense could still win games. Uh, their offense might be a little lackluster, especially in the running game with James Conner only having 18 rushing yards. But they just need him to get back, him to get clicking, things to go right again. And I am not putting out of Mike Tomlin's reach to make those things happen within a short week. Yeah, I think you make some good points. Um, and this game against the Bengals has to be looked at as a turning point game, I think, because they need to start figuring some things out and experimenting a little bit with what works and what doesn't work, specifically offensively, because their next two games after this one are not going to be easy because they play the Colts and then they travel to Cleveland. And unless they beat the Colts, unless they win their next two games and have the number two seed locked up, you can't imagine that they're going to be in a position to rest any starters against Cleveland. And the Browns are going to be playing for the playoffs in playoff positioning themselves in that game. So this has to be the game where the Steelers run the ball effectively, which they should be able to do against the Bengals, who are maybe the worst run defense in the NFL. And they have to be able to they have to be able to clean up all of the miscues offensively, the drop passes, the inability to convert third downs, everything that's been plaguing them. Uh, and against this Bengals team, it seems like the perfect spot for all that to happen. And if it doesn't, I think we're having a very different conversation uh, come week 16. Yeah, and it's an interesting conversation that I'm excited to have with you just one week from today. Uh, and when that episode comes out and when this episode and any more of our episodes come out, you can find out that information at Play It Pod, both on Twitter and on Instagram. You can find me at Rodham Kaufman. And Frank, uh, when you're talking about the Steelers and their downfalls, where will you be tweeting from? I'll be tweeting from at Frank JP zero before we sign off. Shout out to Pfizer. Shout out to Derna for the vaccines. Good looking out for the boys. Get vaccinated and get right. Get vaccinated and get excited for the NBA season coming next week and our Western Conference preview coming the day before the season tips off on the 21st. Uh, Frank, can't wait to talk basketball with you very soon. But in the meantime, enjoy football and we'll be seeing you very soon.